Hey, my name is Ron Segal, and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I'm a designer, and right now I am building Flux Academy, which is an online school for designers, and uh, I'm really excited to be here today. I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on. Um, uh, when <laughs> I, It's like I'm nerding out right now. Um, uh, <laughs> I just opened up, and I saw that Vlad, CEO of Webflow, was here before me, so that's... <laughs> I'm not a big shot as him, I guess. I, I was also really nervous for, for his podcast. Like I had to listen to music for to, before this, like to chill out and relax and everything. But uh, it, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the, the reason I'm so excited uh, about uh, talking to you is because um, when I first got into um, doing web stuff, uh, web stuff, um, <laughs> I... Uh, was looking online because the, my, a friend of mine asked me to do a website for her and I all I knew about was WordPress because my web teacher in college told me about it and then I was looking up all of these different things and then your video popped up on YouTube which was um, building that S-class car website um, in yeah. I think it was 16 minutes and yeah. I watched that and I I was like this is possible this is like this actually works. And I looked at that and I was like, this, this isn't possibly real. This is so cool. And then I started watching a bunch more of your videos and, um, uh, and, and then later on, I think I watched a video about SEO or something like that. And, or, or another one about, um, uh, don't like, don't overdo it when it comes to all of these different things you can do online with there's like Instagram, all these other stuff, like actually do what you like. And then you started talking about podcasting and I was like, that sounds like fun. And then I did one with a couple of my friends just to start out. I'm like, wow, this is, this is what I love to do. And so I would love to do a podcast. I mean, first of all, I'm so happy to hear that 16 minute video did quite well. So happy that got you in. Um, Podcasting is so fun. I try to do a podcast, but it was very hard for me just because I'm based in Israel. And as you see, a lot of interesting people based in the US, they have to wake up super early to talk to me or I have to stay up late. So it's very hard for me to do, uh, which was, it was difficult for us to schedule, but I'm glad that we did it. And it's always fun. I think like having conversation is super fun. So it's a great outlet. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I've, I've made so many friends and it's such a, like a good excuse to hang out with people and uh, yes, make time to, to meet people like you. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's a great platform to meet people. I agree. I agree. So um, the the way that I do this podcast is sometimes a little different than other podcasts. Like I, I want to really get to know you for who you are outside of uh, web design, outside of all of these other different things. Um, so one question that I had was, um, uh, have you have you always I'm going to just like jump into it. Um, right. Let's do it. <laughs> Have you always lived in Tel Aviv and has, have you always lived in Israel your, your whole life? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. So what, what was it like growing up there? Like when you were, I'd say like maybe elementary school age, what, what was it like living there? Elementary school age. First of all, I don't know anything else. So it's a weird, weird question. Cause I've got nothing to compare it to, but <laughs> What I can say is it was great. I mean, I had, I would say, happy childhood. Um, contrary to what a lot of people think, it's really, really safe in terms of, you know, whenever I talk to American friends and they're like, you know, I don't know, afraid to, to let the kids go out at night or play around without supervision. or So there's no kind of like robberies or violence or kidnapping where there's nothing like that. So it's really, really safe. Um, so most of my, you know, childhood when I wasn't aware of, I don't know, political situations, stuff like that was pretty safe uh, and pretty fun and relaxed. Um, there was when I was, I think the, what you, what you in the America called uh, desert storm, which was kind of like a mm. war in the nineties with, uh, where America attacked Iraq and then Iraq fi uh, fired missiles in Israel. So that was, so I was in, I think, you know, elementary school back then. And I, and we had to, people were panicking that they were going to send like uh, chemical missiles, although they never did. But so we had to walk around with these gas masks and 
uh, stuff like that. So that's something like from, you know, my childhood, but I don't remember it as like trauma or anything like that. It was just like, all right, my parents would wake me up sometimes in the middle of the night. We'd all go to one room and put these masks on. It's like a, you know, family thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not like a trauma or I think so. Like looking back at it. Um, yeah. But growing up, you understand it's a complex place. Um, maybe everywhere is complex, but here it's more, you feel it sometimes a little bit more. Um, yeah. So as I grow, I understand more of the complexities and it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated discussion. We can go into that if you want to, but it's, uh, you know, it's politics here are very complicated. Yeah, you can talk about it. I, I was really interested because I, I noticed in a couple of your videos that um, you were really conflicted when you went and uh, did your military service. You you had weird feelings about it. So if you want to talk about it, yeah, we can totally talk about that. So I think as I grew up, you know, after high school and stuff like that, then you become more aware of the political situation. Um, and... I don't know how in-depth to go into it, but I was very much, um, let's say, politically aware and against the, we're living in a, in a state of occupation in a sense. And so I was very much against that. I didn't want to go here. You have like a military service, which is three years of mandatory service. Um, and basically, if you're healthy, you're going to be like a combat fighter. And if you and only if you have like some kind of medical issues, uh, you get to be like an office, uh, whatever, office worker. I got into design in high school. So I had this fantasy of, I'm going to be a graphic designer in the military. <laughs> but they were like, no, you're good. You've got two legs. You can go and fight. <laughs> so, so that was quite oh, discouraging. Wow. Um, and yeah, and I didn't want to go. That's another, that's a completely different topic because I didn't want to go, but there is a lot of social pressure in Israel. If you're not going, you're kind of like stamped as a deserter type of person. And I think today is less of an issue, but when I was growing up, it was like, you're not going to be able to get a job if people are going to ask you what you did in the military. And, you know, you're going to tell them you didn't go. Uh, you're, ne you're never going to be able to get a proper job or something like that. Um, really? Yeah. So I wasn't, I guess, brave enough to kind of like, uh, declare that I'm not willing to, cause like the process is if you refuse to go, you can say like, I refuse based on my moral principles or whatever. And you can go to jail instead of that for a period. And then you, you get out. Um, so you can do that. And like the, I guess my, my brother had a friend who did that. But I, I wasn't brave enough to do that. So I did like the, <laughs> what, the, what the less courage people do, which is to go to, the, to like the psychologist, the military psychologist, and just tell him like, oh, I've got like mental issues. And, they're, and then they're like saying, okay, so you can be a combat fi fighter if you have military issues, um, if you have like mental issues. So I kind of played psycho to be able to get a desk job. Uh, mm -hmm. And not get like, uh, and not be, you know, into the uh, go to be a combat fighter. That was kind of like my, um, yeah, my way of <laughs> resisting being actively part of the occupation. But I was still, I was still in the military and, you know, it is what it is. Um, and eventually, the thing is, eventually, I got into actually an interesting role, uh, where I had access to a lot of information about what's going on in the in the intelligence and seeing really what's going on actually made me even more uh, aware of like the bad things that are happening and how what you're seeing in the news is actually not really what's going on and how everything is being manipulated and so anyway I did that for three years <laughs> and yep and that that's it so what I wanted to ask you if, if women are required to do that service too. Yeah, they are. They, but they do it for less. I think they do it for two years or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, because in the U.S., um, I think up until recently, it's always been uh, if there's any sort of required uh, military anything, it's only men. Um, Here, it's like the, uh, women turn this in a way into a, a feminist uh, battleground in a sense of usually or historically, you know, men would be combat fighters and then women would do, you know, supporting roles. And then the feminists came on and say, hey. We can fight just as well as you are. You're not going to tell me that I can't be a pilot fighter. I can, I can fly my own, you know, F-16. Uh, and that, and, and they <laughs> like, oh, the first military combat pilot and that kind of stuff, woman, pilot, whatever. Uh, so for women here, it was just like the showing that they are equal and they can be just as, just as mean as the boys. <laughs> I can be in equal as much danger <laughs> exactly i i can do the occupation just as good as boys. <laughs> but um i mean you don't know anything different but uh what is it like to live in a place where um everybody for the most part is involved in in this because first of all you have to understand there is even a bigger con context to understand uh, that Israel was formed after the end of World War II. So a lot of the people that came here and a lot of this, so this, this country is born out of the trauma of the Holocaust. So this, this is a country where the prevailing um, mentality is people are trying to kill us. And if we don't stand up for ourselves, and if we are not showing the world that we are very strong, they're just going to try and kill us again because historically that's what they've been doing. So yeah. they're asking us to play nice now, but if we hand over the guns, we saw what happened. They try to kill us. So the whole mentality is, you know, everybody's against us. We have to, you know, we have to stand up for ourselves and, and so forth. Um, so this is kind of like the context. Um, but I want to say one, one thing I'm, very much, um, I don't know if to say against this, but I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm discussing the negative aspects of it, which there are a lot, but there are also positive side effects to this condition, which is a lot of the entrepreneurship. And there is so much innovation and in tech coming out of Israel. I think after, Israel after Silicon Valley, I think is number two in terms of startups and that kind of thing, because this mode of um, stress has generated a lot of resourcefulness and a lot of um, willingness to think outside of the box and not to accept things as they are. Um, and, and so this also has some positive aspects to it. Um, I can definitely say that although I didn't want to go to the military, Looking back at it, I did learn a lot of valuable lessons, even in terms of how to manage myself, how to talk with people above me in the chain, how to stand up for myself, and so forth. Um, so it has also positive side effect. There is a, actually a very famous book called Startup Nation, who is just basically um, stating this thesis that because in Israel you have to go to the army and all of this mentality, this is why all the startups are here and all the tech and, and a lot of innovation and so forth. But that book pisses me off <laughs> just because it shows only the positive sides and does not talk about all the negative sides and you know the, the trauma and occupation and all the bad things that come to the military. But I think it's, if there's one thing that I understand now as I'm getting older is nothing is black and white. And Everything is so gray. So everything has two sides. So, yeah. Um, I remember one of my friends in, in high school, uh, he, his parents uh, came from uh, South Korea. And I remember there was this, um, this panic or this rush that he had to finalize his uh, American citizenship so he wouldn't be shipped back to do his uh, uh, military requirements in korea and um i i don't know what it's like to have that thing like hanging over your head of when i'm this age i have to do this thing that is so scary 
and and dangerous. I it's funny because I just had this conversation with my son. My son is now seven, and he was like, uh, "We were talking, you know, he's he's just in first grade right now, and we were talking what happens after this when I finish school." Uh, will I go to the army? And I was like, if we, if we still live in Israel. Mm. <laughs> and he was like, why won't we be living in Israel? And so I didn't say this, but the assumption is because I don't want you to go to the army <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that you don't have to go to the army. Uh, yeah, it is something that, yeah, it is something that is always, at least on my mind, I know when I was a kid, our parents used to tell us, ah, by the time you'll be 18, there'll be peace and nobody, there won't be any need for the military anymore. But, you know, as you grow older and now and, and more, I, I guess, pessimistic, uh, you don't see this conflict ending in like three years. So, so now when I have to think about my son and, you know, yeah, I have to take this into consideration. Do you think about him, uh, uh, serving that time differently than you thought about yourself serving that time? I don't know. To be honest, I guess I would want to let him do whatever he thinks is right. I'll, like my situation was, and I've mentioned this briefly previously, I didn't want to go, but my specifically father basically said, if you're not going to go, I'm going to be very disappointed or, mm. you know, I'm going to look, I'm, I'm going to see you as less, less mm. than, or something, something along these lines. And this was emotionally like a very big leverage on me. So mm. ideally for my, you know, as a father, I would like him to make his own decision and I wouldn't want to push him either way. Um, hmm. yeah so uh thinking back on on that that time frame um with uh growing up and and being in elementary school and not really thinking about anything beyond <laughs> Tel Aviv mostly just going out and playing with your friends and everything like that um uh, when you think about uh that kid uh sometimes you can think of them almost as if they were a, a different person or or you can just think about them just as like who they were um how would you describe yourself at at kind of that age what what were you like what were you interested in like for elementary school to be honest i don't remember almost anything like <laughs> my memories start basically around kind of like early high school and I don't know if, how you call it middle school or something. Yeah. Like I don't remember much before 12, 13. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't. It's like, it's nice. It's pleasant. It's like hanging out with friends, but don't remember. Honestly, I just don't remember. Do you remember? Yeah, um, maybe there wasn't anything significant to be honest. <laughs> like it was just nice. There was no traumas, no big events. It was just like, yeah, it's nice. Um, do you remember any stories about uh, maybe things your parents told you, like you really liked, I don't know, karate or something like that? No, like I, no. <laughs> I would, <laughs> you know, you, you want to tell those, yeah, I used to draw since I was a very small kid. <laughs> and I used to have this lemonade stand, which was my entrepreneurial background. But no, there's nothing. To be honest, like my parents sent me to whatever uh, organ classes or music classes. Nothing came out of that. Um, yeah, that's it. And I, I, most of the things that I got interested in became just came later, I think, in high school. In mm -hmm. high school, I decided for myself, I want to learn how to draw. I decided for myself, I want to learn guitar. I decided... So everything I think happened for me later on. I don't remember the how it came to be, but yeah. I remember seeing somewhere that um your your brother made music and you did his his album cover for him. Yeah, yeah. So my brother, his 
still into music. Um, yeah, and he all asked me to do his stuff. <laughs> it's still on today. Last week, I'm like, we have a new project. Can you do our website? <laughs> like, how about you use this template? <laughs> <laughs> I have evolved since then. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I think Squarespace is the right fit for you. <laughs> and so, um, uh, I, I remember I've, I I saw your your first. Uh, uh, I think if I wasn't a program, maybe before Adobe Illustrator, um, you were. Uh, super into like the graffiti style of of drawing and everything like yeah, that and i yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember seeing those those uh those sketches from your video and it was kind of funny because um i i saw the um the save date on the screen and it was um uh i think it was june of 1999 yeah. um which is kind <laughs> of hilarious because i was born in 1998 <laughs> uh, and i was like I was like, "Wow, I'm new with this." <laughs> oh no, Ron is just an old dude by this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just getting old. I I remember um growing up and uh like drawing in Photoshop and uh doing a lot of those um just like fun tutorials. Uh, I don't know if you remember those Adobe books, those square books that you could buy that had the CD in the back. Yeah, um, of course. Of yeah, course. I, I had all those. And um, you liking those uh, um, graffiti-style drawings, uh, my experience was um, I was trying to learn how to use Photoshop and learn all of these skills. So I, I Googled a picture. This is very American of me, um, of uh, Kim Kardashian with makeup and Kim Kardashian without makeup. And I had the two photos next to each other, and I tried to match them using oh, wow. Photoshop. This, is, this sounds advanced. This is like high level of touching. <laughs> I, nice. I think it was just like trying to learn all the different tools and stuff like that. Nice. But um, uh, around, I, I guess I I want to know a little bit more about um what you were like in um uh like late nineties, early two thousands. Of it seems like you liked grunge and you liked all yeah. of this like edgy stuff i was i was yeah. curious about what that was like so okay so back in israel okay we we didn't have access to a lot of like music because it's a very small country and so there was three like back in the time there were record shops right and they wouldn't have like these huge things so basically all we had access to was MTV and what the Tower Records or whatever had in the shop, which wasn't a lot. And then one time I went to, I guess in the 90s or 19s or early 2000s, I went on a family trip, like a ski trip. And over there, I met a bunch of other kids from around the world. And we were like sharing CDs. We were listening to music on CDs. One of them had a CD of Blink-182. It was the first Ooh. first record that they had. It was called Cheshire Cat, whatever. No, I don't know how to say it. But <laughs> Cheshire Cat? Yeah, Cheshire Cat. <laughs> Their first, and I listened to it, and my mind was blown. Now, we did have we didn't knew Green Day because Green Day were kind of like you know mainstream at that point. So I knew kind of like pop pop punk from Green Day. But then I listened to Bling. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> immediately they wrote down wrote down the uh the name of the band and then i came back and i had some friends who were into music together we were start looking over the internet we discovered i guess punk rock we were listening to grunge like nirvana that kind of stuff but we started getting into punk we started like ordering cds off the internet uh and got into punk that way and then this so this was already when we had internet so the, basically, the story of the internet, which was a few years earlier, I guess this was 1995 or whatever. My dad, who was into, you know, computers, took me to, there was like a convention where they demonstrated the internet. You could see the internet for the first time. And whatever, the, the one thing that I saw that well, you can download a video clip from Disney of like a song from The Lion King. So that's, <laughs> I was like, 
oh my God, we need to have this at home immediately. <laughs> and then, you know, he got us the internet. It was like a dial up. So you, and you had to, you know, you had like 10 hours a month. That was like your subscription. It was like looking at the time while you were surfing. Right. Uh, so I started playing on the internet and then I wanted to start building um, websites. He had a book about HTML, which was like, the complete basic. And one of the reasons I wanted to learn to build websites was we started having MP3s, right? Which was how we used to share music. And as I shared earlier, it was really hard for us to have access to music. So what we did back in the time, and this is before Napster and all those file sharings, there was FTP servers. So you can have your computer connected to the internet and have people like have access to a folder on your computer. And so what people used to do is they would have their website listing all the songs that they have on their computer. And then you could do things like if you upload one song, you get access to download two songs. And then you would put a list of the songs that you want and the songs that you have. And people were like sharing music that way. Right. So one of the reasons I learned how to build for the web was I wanted to have like this web page that basically states all the music that I have and all the music that I I want (laughs) and I don't have access to. Um, So that's yeah, that's how I started learning to build websites. And then it was very ugly. So the next step was like, how do we make this pretty? I got to learn Photoshop. And that leads to getting into design. Oh, that is so cool. So at that time period, were you, I'm guessing, is this 15 years old, 16 years old? Yeah, around that time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And and yeah, so high school is 18. So you were uh, still there. That's so strange. Yeah, I remember um, uh, having like MP3 players and everything like that. And then I remember when Groove Shark came out. I don't know if you remember Groove yeah. Shark at oh, all. At that point, I was like, <laughs> Groove Shark is me post-military because i remember when, when i used it it was already in my like second job <laughs> groove shark <laughs> it's very late in the game <laughs> groove shark for, for me um uh, we thought it was like the coolest thing ever because there was all this free music yeah. and then it got shut down <laughs> yeah 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 but for a before, while it was very cool that was before spotify or anything it was like before that. spotify yeah but it was already after napster and that kind of stuff and there was napster and after napster there were torrents right yeah. Uh, so that's like the, and then Spotify just solved it. To me, this is, this is a, a really a major breakthrough on how design doesn't matter if it's a product design, business model design solves the problem. Because before that, musicians or the record labels or whatever they tried to solve the problem by just persecuting people who are downloading music right Mm. but you can't and i did not have a problem with paying for the music but it was the friction was so high like i had to go to the store the store didn't have the music i wanted i had to put in a record like or you know i had to order the cds that would take like two three weeks and then i would get like three cds And I wanted to listen to the music now. And I wanted to listen to 10 CDs, 20 CDs. (laughs) So I just didn't have the patience. It wasn't about, you know, uh, money. And I think, you know, this is how everybody behaved. And this is why, you know, sharing music became so prevalent. And they try to solve it by making it illegal and make you're a pirate and you're ruining the life of musicians. But it's just like, this is the natural human behavior. And it was solved by just a good design of an app, business model, functionality that make it seamless. And then it was like, of course, I'm going to pay you $20 because it's, you know, it's so much faster. I don't want to go look for these MP3s anymore. That's now that's a friction, right? Looking for the <laughs> album, trying to, oh, this link is broken. So now, you know, things become less, you know, frictionless. Um, yeah, Spotify's major changing point in music have you ever talked to your your son about the difference between your experience listening to music and and his he we did not but he will never ever i think can even understand let alone i don't think he'll ever grasp the concept of an album 
Like, what is an oh, album? Really? There's, a song, there's a song that I like. Like, what is an album? Just wow. like a bunch of songs. I mean, and he's, <laughs> for, for my son, listening to music without watching the video clip on YouTube is weird. Why are we just listening? We can watch it. <laughs> like, why wow. are we just listening to me? <laughs> so unless we're in, a, in the car and that makes sense, if we're just at home, we can watch the video clip. Why are we just listening to the music? So I don't even know how to <laughs> explain. And then maybe like if if he has a kid someday, it's like, yeah, like, why would you watch it when you could like be sitting next to the <laughs> the person in yeah. VR? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know where it's going to <laughs> where it's going. So at, at this time frame, uh uh, between like uh, 15 and graduating high school in uh, around 18 years old, was this time frame where you, because you said that when you went into the military, you were like, I can get a graphic design job. That would be like the mm-hmm. dream. So when did you find out what graphic design was? And one more question. I, I knew you liked uh, Stefan Sagmeister. Um, yeah. who's a, he's from Sagmeister and Walsh and, and before Walsh. Yeah, um, exactly. But <laughs> those are all my questions that I just threw at you. So choose what you would like to answer. <laughs> okay. So as I told you, I, first I wanted to build websites so that I can list my MP3s. And then I was like, these websites are ugly. We got to make them pretty. So let me learn Photoshop. And then I got into Photoshop and Photoshop actually led me to number one, learning how to draw because I was trying to do these, you know, beautiful things, but I didn't understand how light works. And and so that led me into uh, learning how to draw. But then when I played around with Photoshop, so the first thing was uh, when the internet came, there was before Slack, there were IRC chats. I don't know if you know what that is, but that was just like the chat back at the time. It was just like channels. It's, it's more like discord today, I think. Mm. Um, so it was just like chat channels. And then everybody there had their own kind of like avatar or image. So I started to design kind of like logos for my friends. Um, so because I knew how to play with Photoshop. So that kind of led me to, you know, low level logo design. Then I randomly got into um 3D design just because I was interested. So I started learning 3D and that was my first actually paid project while I was in the mil- in, in high school. I got my first you know, client paying me to do 3D work for them. So this is where it suddenly clicked where, oh, the things that I'm so excited about. And look, I was an average school, you know, um, average school student, I guess I could get to like 80 rather easily, but I never had, you know, the interest or, you know, I got bored then I never sat down (laughs) to to get to 100. Um, We don't have ABC. We just have zero to 100 as grades. Anyway. um, So I don't even know what 80 is. It's like B, I guess. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. All right. So I got to B pretty easily, never bothered to get to the A, but then I saw that for some things, I really have intense desire to learn. So when I got the, the, the book that taught me how to draw, I realized, oh, I can actually learn on my own. And when I want to learn, I can achieve results. So, and, and the thing that I'm most interested in learning right now is like Photoshop, all of these design thingies. And now people start paying me to do that. So obviously I'd love to, keep tinkering with that while, you know, if I can, but I couldn't. But even while I was in the military, not doing that, I kept tinkering with it on my, you know, on the side. Um, And I tinkered with, I experimented with a lot of things. So I experimented with uh, 3D. I experimented with vector illustrations. So learning, uh, doing vector illustrations, designs, um, like graphic design, logo design, that kind of thing, web design, um, photography. I really got into photography. So anything visual, I experimented with it. And in essence, by the, by the time I got out of the military, I had, a, I had a basically a portfolio, which is basically just a bunch of folders with 
stuff I did, <laughs> like my <laughs> experimentation and my artwork and that kind of stuff. And with that, I got my first job um, mm. as a graphic designer. So, you know, after the, after the military. So, yeah, my side project and just experimentation was enough to, to be kind of a portfolio. Uh, and that helped me land the first job after the military which was the first kind of like professional job. And I learned a lot on, you know, being a professional, like, um, yeah. Does that is, make sense? Is, yeah. Is that the job that um, uh, your first two weeks, your, your boss wasn't there and you had to uh, no, figure no, no, it no, out? No. no, this, this was a job in a gaming company. Oh, By yes, the way, yes. that's 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 how they sold it to me. Game. I didn't <laughs> know that gaming means gambling, but that's the that's the clean language of. Uh, to me, I was like, gaming. It's Super Mario. No, it's <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> no, it's slot machines. Oh, okay. Um, so, a friend of the family, like a daughter of my mother, a daughter of a friend of my mother, worked there as a as a graphic designer. And she got me an interview. And in that interview, I showed them my portfolio and I got the job. Funny side note, that graphic designer back at the time, and this was like, what, 15 years ago, she was spending the whole time at work, not doing work. She was playing Second Life. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. Yes, yes. It's kind of like a metaverse type game from 15 years ago, and she started designing and selling clothes for people in that game. And she eventually made enough money. So she quit her job and she would just design clothes and other the, everything that's on hype right now, 15 years later, she was doing it for, for a living um, 15 years ago. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> I, got, I got that job. Yeah, I got that job. And over there, what I had to do was to design email templates and banners. Back at the time, um, this was the area of Flash. So if you wanted to do animations, and most of the banners on the internet were using Flash. And you had these Flash animations and that kind of stuff. Um, there was no HTML5 animations, everything that we know today, CSS animations. Everything was Flash. So, Yeah. So I got into Flash. I used to do that. That's what I did there. Um, I remember. I, oh, I remember seeing those those uh, um, the casino animations that that you did. You posted. Did a I video show it? About did, I, did I put it on a video? Yeah, I don't yeah. even know <laughs> if I still have these things. But it's. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a year, basically to save up money. So very common in Israel, after you finish the military service, you travel for one year. It's called after the military trip, usually to a very <laughs> cheap country. So either you go to India, India for a year or mm. you go to South America. This is where a little bit of money can go a long way and you can be away uh, for a year, usually doing drugs, uh, drinking, <laughs> forgetting all about your military experience. Um, so basically I was working there, saving up money for my trip, which is actually what happened. So I worked there for a year, quit, went to South America, ended up being there only for six months. Um, coming back. And when I came back, basically I was about to go back to the company that I worked at and I was going there to meet them, but the HR manager at that company already moved to a different company to one of the biggest advertising agencies in Israel. And he remembered me and he liked me. We had a good relationship. So he actually pitched me, don't go back to that company. Let me take you to a real advertising agency. Um, and that's how I got there. So hmm. that's how I got into, got to see a different side of, yeah, I used to think casino was evil, and then I thought advertising is evil. And then as you work through, you you progress in your ethical 
perspective as you get more privileged then you get better you, you get better offers you can be like i can't believe i worked for them but when that was the only when that was the only choice you had of course you would take it but but as you get more experience and opportunities you can look down at the previous opportunities and say oh, i can't believe people are doing that so yeah uh this might be a, a silly way to look at it or maybe it's just like um uh american or something like that but um when i notice a lot of the things that that you've said over uh, a long period of time um i noticed that you have a, a heavy emphasis on like um treating people well and ethics and is this the right thing that i'm doing and all of this kind of stuff um that isn't always something that i hear people say so often it's like some people would say well is this the best thing for me um is this uh gonna take me to the next thing for you i noticed a lot of phrasing of is this the right thing for me to be doing for more than just me so i was curious where that comes from if it comes from anywhere ah good question i don't know the answer to that i haven't i don't know I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I Maybe, I noticed yeah, that it's... from your wall too, um, in your office, um, the work hard and be nice to people. That's not always something that people have on their mind. Hmm. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe, maybe it comes from, you know, all of the, the values and the punk music that I was listening to, or maybe just, or maybe it's the other way around. Like I resonated with punk music because these were the values that resonated with me, but I don't know. I don't know how to answer yeah. this. That's okay. <laughs> Not everything has an answer. Yeah. I, I just want to let you know that I, I saw that and it wasn't something that was super common um, in, in think... people. My business coach told me something that I was thinking about recently. He was like, in, in your 20s, if you're not socialist, you don't have a heart. And then <laughs> in your 40s or 40s, if you're not a capitalist, you don't have a brain, which is kind of like <laughs> when you're starting out, when you're young, you're very idealistic. You know, you think the world should be a better place and like, let's not exploit people and oppress people. And, uh, and again, I'm coming from a background of a feeling like I'm in the part of the occupier in, in, you know, in this kind of like uh, political situation. Um, and so, so yeah, very much trying to make the world a better place and save the world. Yeah. I think, either I had this or maybe it's just young people in general kind of feel like they want to save the world. And as they grow up, um, you start to see the complexities and not everything is black and white. It's not the good people versus the bad people. It's just everything is so gray and everybody is good and bad at the same time. And it's just like, there is no easy fixes. Um, and I think, I am still in that conflict. Now I'm building a company. So I'm trying to do the right thing, right? There's all these inherent problems with capitalism, right? Why do so many few people, you know, uh, get the profit of the work of the people who are doing the work and it's not fair and, you know, people are being exploited and, you know, there's, e e you know, inequality. And so I'm saying, okay, I'm starting, I'm building a company, but I can use this company to, try a different model, right? A model that is more fair and, and nobody's being exploited and everybody's being treated well, especially when I had worked in the past in places where, you know, I worked very hard or I wasn't rewarded and, and so forth. And so I'm trying to, trying to fix all of these things in this new company. Um, but then you start to realize the complexities. And I'll, I'll share one example that I'm struggling with right now and I don't know the solution to right now. So I am very much into transparency, right? I, I've been sharing on my YouTube how much money I'm making. And I think that being transparent um, 
has been very, very helpful to me when I understand how many people are, uh, you know, are making, I knew how to better negotiate and so forth. So I'm really into that. Um, but then again, I had a story from earlier on in my life that showed me that maybe it's not always good to be transparent. I, you know, in, in one of my, in, in, when I got started working in the advertising agency, you know, I negotiated a salary and so forth. Then one day, the person sitting next to me who was working there for like three years took me home. And I don't know how he got into talking about this, but I think he asked me how much money I'm making. And I told him how much money I'm making. And it was the exact same salary that he's making after three years there. And he was like, obviously, this junior person that I have to teach him everything, how can he be making the same amount of money as me? I'm way more advanced, blah, blah, blah. And that created a lot of resentment from, really? from him. Yeah, because he was like, I'm not getting, I should be getting more. Either I'm not getting what I, I'm supposed to be getting or this person is getting more than they should be getting or one of these two things. Um, and then I was like, maybe I shouldn't be telling people how much I'm making. Um, so now going back to, you know, I'm, I'm managing a company and I'm trying to figure it out. I see all of these, there, there are examples of companies that are sharing um, how much money they're making or, or like all the salaries. Buffer is a, is a good example. They're fully transparent. There's a spreadsheet. You can see how much everybody's making, CEO, everybody in the company. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, I love this. I want to do this as well. But then you start realizing the problems that you know, not everybody's providing the same amount of value. Mm. And so they shouldn't be compensated the same. However, people have these psychological biases that when they see somebody is making more money out of them, it annoys them and they feel like it's not fair. And they're, they will never say, oh, well, I guess I should provide more value. No, they're like, I'm doing good work, important work as well, right? So I should be getting more. So the psych the psychology of people sometimes conflict with the higher value of but then so again there's a conflict here do we treat people as adults and we share all the information and we want to be transparent or we realize people have fundamental you know every we are all humans and we all, all have our psychological you know, biases and we just function that way. That's how our brain and psychology works. And that's natural. So it's just like, I'm hiding away the candies at my house because I don't want to look at them all the time. Because if I look at them all the time, I'm going to eat them, right? I know it's bad, but I'm still going to do it. So I'm, I'm even trying to manipulate my own psychology, right? Or I'm structuring my environment in a way because I understand that my psychology is not perfect. So I'm trying to you know, rearrange it so it's optimal for me. So do we organize the organization for people's psychology or we just say we want to be transparent? And so the best thing, is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this, but I'm, this goes back to the question of doing the right thing. I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out, but it's so complex. Uh, and no matter what you're going to do, you're going to be wrong, right? So... <laughs> Or well, somebody's, or somebody's going to say that you're wrong, and then you're being canceled for whatever. <laughs> it seems like any any way that you go, um, it's not going to make all, all of the people happy. Yeah, yeah. Or it might have side effects or something like yeah. that. It um when when you said that thing about the the person that you worked with um that gave you the ride home um something that I had to realize uh um. I guess within the last year is this whole concept of um, more for someone else doesn't always mean less for me. And it's something that uh, not everybody has that built into them. Um, it, and it wasn't it's, until. It's, and yeah, it's very hard. Going. Even if you understand it, it's very hard to detach the emotion. Right. Yeah. And it it's a, uh, um, I had, this little part of the conversation uh with Vlad when he was talking about how um uh growing up he thought that him uh 
making money or or something like that meant taking it from someone else and it wasn't until uh he saw had this example of like okay if there's this car on the side of the road um and you fix it up um you just uh created something out of nothing this wasn't being taken from somebody else or something like that and then once i found like all of the webflow people that really like uh helping each other and there isn't i i never really felt this idea of um uh more attention for this person or more projects for this person is less for me because there's just so many that are out there and there's not enough people doing the stuff um that that's when i i started seeing oh wow you can actually feel this and mean it not just saying it because it's a nice thing to say <laughs> i i agree with you but sometimes sometimes when when the pie is large enough that's easy. Mm. I mean, and I'm always happy for my friends who are getting other design projects because I know that there is more demand than supply. So it's easy. But when the supply is limited, and if I'm mm. going back to politics, the supply yeah. of land is limited. So when you own a land, and that can be either in the, if a country owns a land, or if you own a real estate, that basic, okay, in real estate, you can build higher, okay? But the, the amount of land is fixed. So mm. there is no, you know, it's a pie. It's a fixed pie. Um, and you can be creative about this, but still, when somebody else owns it, you don't own it. Mm, yeah. And that's tough. And, it, and you can say, theoretically, within, if you're working at a company, that company has a budget. That budget is not unlimited. If you're getting a higher salary, that money is coming from somewhere. It can be either less profit to the owner or less salary or whatever, something. It's coming from somewhere, right? It's not unlimited. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess if, if you're, uh, um, if you want this mentality, you kind of have to uh, find a place for it to be possible. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the other thing is we hate conflicts and mm. we would love everybody to be happy. And we try to really cover the fact that sometimes the situation is somebody loses. Mm. Uh, we are, I think we are, especially now, you know, everybody is, is, you're not the boss of anyone. I'm an independent. I work for myself. I'm like, you know, there is no hierarchy and there is no nothing. And I, sure, right. But um, at the end of the day, we need to, yeah, somebody, somebody needs to, not, not necessarily somebody needs to lose, right? But there is, yeah, some things are fixed, right? Some, some works, somebody is going to have to do them right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wishes they could sit at home and flip NFTs for a living. That sounds really fun. <laughs> that sounds really fun. But somebody's going to have to grow vegetables. They yeah. do not grow themselves. Um, so uh, yeah. And, and, and other very nasty, nasty jobs that we try not to think about. We work really hard at not thinking about them because we don't like to admit that life is tough. And somebody is going to do the dirty work, right? Yeah. Huh. I I know we're we're coming up on time and everything like that. Um. But and and I I'd love to do this with you again sometime, and we can we can for start sure. at the emo phase and, and, and grunge phase, and then we can keep going and for the rest of the story. I like going slow because I think it's more fun. And so if that I'm means two rush, podcasts, yeah. Yeah, that means sure. good. Um. But yeah, I. I I love talking to you today. It was it was so cool to to get to know you a little bit more just for you and um outside Thank you. I of I appreciate uh... it. It's fun to talk about <laughs> things that are not directly related to whatever. Design content, freelancing content. I enjoy that. A a, a cool thing about this sometimes is a uh, it's a it's a cool little um time capsule for maybe you to refer to uh later or something like that. So Something I like to do uh, towards the end is um, asking you uh, 
when when can you look at the horizon um for maybe like whatever the the next few weeks the next few months or maybe the next year or something like that um is there anything that you're really excited about that you you see uh in the distance that maybe you want to learn or, or you're not sure if it's going to happen or not what, what do you see uh from where you're sitting right now for me this is the transition right now right now we're in a transition from a company that is based around me, my, my brand, my learnings, my insights, my voice into a company that is a real company and has have other contributors, uh, is managed. Um, and it's not all about run, run, run. It's bigger than me. So I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited in a few years. We'll, we'll, uh, listen to this and it worked. Um, (laughs) I'll be happy, but but maybe you won't, you know, Um, there is, we, we have a new COO in the company who is going to manage the company instead of me. Cause one of the things I realized this year is I'm not a great manager. So we need Mm. somebody else, a professional manager to manage the company. And he shared an interesting diagram with me with kind of like the life cycle of companies, right? Typical life cycle, they grow and then they die. Um, and we are basically in a transition phase from what they call the go-go phase, which is like, especially the entrepreneur like me in this case is just pushing, 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 just trying to make the business work, generate sales and make everything happen to a state of adolescence where there's already like a team and uh, processes and functions and the business is more mature. Um, of course, you only reach there. If you're successful, you can die along the way if that doesn't work. And probably the most uh, biggest reason of failure is if the entrepreneur or the founder doesn't let go of control. Mm. Um, so this is going to be my challenge during the next month and years, I guess, is to release control from something that, you know, I know best, and this is how I like things to be done, um, to just letting other people do their thing. Um, Hopefully, I'll look back on it, and we were successful, but who knows? That is quite a challenge, especially something you've been working on for what, five, six years now? Yeah. That's... That's a big thing. <laughs> I'm really yep. excited for you. I'm, I, 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 uh, it was so fun to, to go through your um, YouTube videos. I started from like oldest and then I watched a whole bunch um, from there. So it was, it was interesting to compare like how I, how I know you now um, uh, compared to all that time back then. Um, and it, it's been so cool to, to watch that, to watch you on YouTube, and then like to actually be able to meet you now. So this was really, really fun for me. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I'm up for part two. I'm up for part two. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and the way that I, I finish a uh, podcast, because I, sometimes I don't know how to end conversations, um, awkward about that, um, is I, I reintroduce myself and I, I sell, I say where people can find me and then we'll finish up with you and you'll say where people can find you, uh, just in case it's the first time they're hearing you or anything like that. Um, and then we'll head out of here. Does it sound good? Let's do it. Awesome. Alrighty. So, uh, hi, <laughs> my name is Emily Giordano and I am a, uh, web designer, web flow developer, and UX person. Um, I uh, love what I do. This is like the best thing ever uh, when it comes to either UX or when it comes to development. There's literally nothing you can't do from a static website to, I don't know, a, a website with profiles using Zapier and Airtable and all of this crazy stuff. So um, if you want to reach out to be friends, to nerd out about cool integrations or come on the podcast or maybe you have a project and you need someone to help you out whether it's design or development you can reach out to me um uh which is emily e-m-i-l-y at greatdesignlead.com that's also my website greatdesignlead.com greatdesignlead is my youtube where i make uh fun 
uh, website reactions. You can watch that. It's very small. It's it's just fun. Um, and then there's also Instagram and all of this other stuff. Um, so yeah, all of that will be in the description. You don't have to remember how to spell anything. Um, and yeah, that that's enough about me. And then we'll finish up with Rand, and then we'll head out of here. All right. So <laughs> as I said in the beginning, <laughs> my name is Ron Segal. I'm a designer, now the founder uh, of Flex Academy and teacher, I guess YouTuber. Uh, you can say teaching design, web design, web flow, uh, and all things design related. You can find me and the rest of the team on the Flux YouTube channel, which is F-L-U-X. Also on our website, Flux Academy, which is flux-academy.com. Or uh, my Twitter, I guess, or, or Twitter and Instagram, which are basically the same handle. It's run, R-A-N, Segal, that's S-E-G-A-L-L-L-L. And uh, I'll see you there. Uh, send a message, connect, and uh, let's hang out. Oh, my God. Th- thanks so much for, for everything. And I guess this is just goodbye until next time. Fantastic. Emily, I love your, I love your vibe <laughs> and I love your energy. You're doing amazing work. And it was really, really fun chatting with you. Great. I, I can't wait until the next time.